This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's podcast, I'm joined by best-selling crime author Felix Francis, the youngest son of the late Dick Francis, the famous author and champion jockey. Thank you for coming on the show, Felix. Well, lovely to be here, Stephen. Thank you. Well, thank you. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk about your new book, Iced, about growing up with a famous author, journalist and famous jockey, what goes into writing a crime novel and an event that's coming up shortly at Newmarket at the Jockey Club Rooms on Wednesday, the 8th of December. But let's start with your new book, Iced. You have been described by Country Life as the master of suspense and intrigue. Can you give listeners a brief outline about your new book? Well, yes, I'll try, uh, um, uh, without giving anyway any spoilers. Um, Iced is... uh, it starts um, with my main character, whose name is Miles Pussett. He is going down the Cresta Run in Saint Moritz. He used to be a, uh, a jockey, a steeplechase jockey, uh, but he got a bit heavy and the, the weight problems and uh, he had mental health problems, took a bit to um, drinking and uh, had to... Um, had to step away from racing, really, for the sake of his mental health, and now gets his thrills by chucking himself down a uh, an ice chute at 80 miles an hour with no brakes and no steering, uh, which is the Cresta Run, which is uh, very exciting. I went and watched it. it. I didn't actually go down it myself. I'm not that brave, but uh, <laughs> not that brave. Um, And he gets drawn into horse racing again because it is – He's competing in a competition at the Cresta on the same weekend as White Turf. And White Turf is the most amazing horse racing actually on the lake, on the frozen lake at San Moritz. And that is why I went to San Moritz in the first place and was to see the word was I was invited by White Turf to attend. And he gets reluctantly, he gets drawn back into horse racing. And he begins to discover things uh, going on which have a, a reason, 
have a res- resonating with his, future, his former life. And the book is actually written in t- two time zones, inter- intermingled, one in the present tense and one in the past tense. And, and, and uh, I set myself a, a task to do that, and, and I'm really delighted by the outcome. And I think that readers will enjoy it. And uh, it is, um, well, country life are very nice to say that uh, the master of suspense, but and certainly there's a, quite a lot of suspense in this book. Well, having read your book, Crisis, I know they're a real, real page turner. How do, you, um, how do you get your ideas and how do you get the idea for this book? Well, the idea of Rice came from the fact that I went to uh, San Moritz as a guest to go and see White Turf. I mean, I went there with the specific reason that, that it was unusual racing uh, to see horses racing actually on the ice. And A, I wanted to actually see it for myself. Uh, and B, um, I did think that it might provide the background for a book. But while I was there, um, I have a friend who lives in the same village as me, and he, he used to ride the crest to run himself when he was in the RAF. And he said, oh, you must go uh, and look at the Cresta if you're in San Moritz. Well, I thought I probably wouldn't have time. And uh, there we stayed in a hotel and there was a notice saying what was on in the Cresta run every day. And it says, today, Grand National. And I'm thinking, the Grand National, you know, this takes place at Aintree in, in April. Not, uh, anyway, I went to... Uh, the concierge, and I said, where is the crest run? He said, it's about 250 metres down the road. So I thought, well, I might just manage that. So I went down there, and sure enough, there was a competition going on called the Grand National. And I went in and I met, uh, even met some uh, someone I knew there who happens to be president of the club, so he showed me around and everything. And by lunchtime that day, I had the formation of the story, you know, the basis of the story in my head. It was absolutely magnificent. I mean, finding stories is not easy. Uh, Some people even say to me, how many stories did your father actually leave you when he died? And the answer, of course, is he didn't leave any. And he didn't even leave, give me the stories that I uh, was using beforehand. So... Um, finding the story is always difficult. It's the most difficult thing is finding the, is finding the story. And uh, because not only can I not use any of the, my previous um, 15 um, stories that I've used in books, but I can hardly use any of the ones that my father has used previously because everyone would then complain that you know, the story is not original. It must have been the uh, the word Grand National that must have inspired you with the connection with the with the Francis family. Oh, absolutely! Well, my father rode in eight Grand Nationals. Uh, he never actually won it, but he came very close on Devon Lock. He certainly uh, did, yeah. In 1956, all, uh, all but 40 yards of the run in, when the horse collapsed um, underneath him, um, the horse recovered and he rode him again later in the year, but but. Uh, it was a great uh, uh, shock and a great disappointment to him at the time. But probably, as he always said in later life, it, he, he probably owed more to Devon Lott's collapse um, than he would have done if the horse had won because um, it was that one singular event which resulted in him writing and going on to be a newspaper man and then going on to write um, so many best-selling novels. So 
you know, he, he always he used to say at one point that he that his gravestone, his epitaph would be, here lies the man who didn't win the Grand National. Uh, but actually, um, it, more, it says, here lies the man who wrote 39 best-selling novels and introduced more people worldwide to horse racing than any other single individual. So actually, uh, uh, the, the Grand National, um, it was very close to his heart. And indeed, he became a trustee of the racecourse when there was an appeal launched in 1982 to save the racecourse from being turned into a housing estate. And my father was one of the two original trustees, and he went on being a trustee for the next 21 years. And um, with great excitement for me and my brother, uh, Aintree are installing a statue of my father, a life-size statue uh, at the racecourse, just outside the weighing room, which he, uh, the new weighing room, which he actually opened in 2006. And uh, it's it's a great honour for us to uh, um, have a statue going up there and the statue is at the moment being cast and um, the plan is that it will be unveiled at next year's Grand National meeting in April. Oh, that's fantastic. I've been to the Grand National about nearly 10 times myself, so I know where you're, you're talking about at the new weighing room, so that will be a fantastic tribute to, to your father. Yes, he will be standing. He, he, he's actually um, depicted as a jockey as he was in 1956 when he rode Devonlock, and he'll be standing at the top of the steps uh, overlooking the parade ring. And uh, it's very exciting. Um, uh, I'm, uh, I think it's the most wonderful honour that uh, Aintree are offering him. Uh, I mean, we, we, we've raised the money through um, public subscription and a number of large donors, including my brother and myself. So... We have raised the money, um, the money is there, the statue is uh, been uh, uh, sculpted by uh, William Newson, who did Lester Piggott and um, did the, the, all the sculptures of Lester Piggott that are around the country, and a number of other, I mean, important equestrian-based sculptures, and he, he's done a wonderful job, and it's, as I said, it's being cast at the moment uh, into bronze, and uh, all being well, it will be standing proud at Aintree come uh, after next April. Well, that's something to look forward to. And, and hopefully, fingers crossed, there are going to be big crowds back at Aintree for, for the Grand National in April. Well, I hope so. Uh, I mean, I, the, 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 the current pandemic is very worrying, especially what's happening um, across Europe. Um, I just hope that people get themselves vaccinated, get their boosters and and we put this uh, awful year behind us. How have sales been going for the book? Sales have been pretty good, actually. Um, they've, uh, they're up on, on uh, Guilty Not Guilty, which was my previous book. So uh, the publishers seem very happy. Uh, I'm working now on the next one. I'm a quarter of the way through uh, the next book, desperately trying to think of the story um, as I go along. As my father used to say, a funny way to make a living making up stories but uh, that's what we do we're in the entertainment business so uh, um, sales are good and I was uh, I went to an event on on Monday um, here in Oxfordshire where I live um, where in fact it was in Warwickshire and there were 75 people there and I did a talk to them and I managed to sell 31 books so uh, and considering that a lot of them were were there as couples, I thought I'd done quite a good 
um, success rate, um, a hit rate of selling a book to people. But uh, and I'm looking forward to coming to um, Newmarket, Newmarket, New Market to the Jockey Club rooms in uh, on Wednesday, the eighth of December, where where I'm. I'm, I'm there is a a wonderful uh, tour that. Um, Discover Newmarket do, which is the Dick Francis tour um, around the town, showing where places are in, in my books and my father's books. And uh, I've been asked to join the tour. Um, uh, I know that, that uh, Sandy, the, uh, the tour guide, is mugging up on, on everything because she's terrified that I will point things out to her that she gets wrong, which I promise not to. And then after the uh, tour... We have tea in the jockey club rooms and then I'm doing a talk and we'll be um, telling people about what it was like to grow up with Dick Francis and um, how I write the books and how I took over uh, the Dick Francis books. And also I'll be book signing there and I hope a lot of people will come along and listen. I'm yeah, certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, the tour, tour starts at 3.45. Price is £15. Uh, and you get a chance to get a signed copy of the book. That's obviously extra, but um, you can book uh, via discovernewmarket.co.uk or telephone Newmarket, which is 01638 501122. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing you myself at the it, audience uh, yeah, on it, I, Wednesday, I, the 8th of December. Yes, I hope that uh, lots of people will come. I'm, 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 it, it is, and I know it's quite an expensive uh, trip, but. Um, uh, I'm not getting the money there. It's, it's going to hire the, the jockey club rooms and the jockey club rooms themselves are worth the, the £15 entrance just to go and have a look at the artwork there. Definitely. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm greatly looking forward to it. And I have spoken there once before in the, in the coffee room there, but that was many, many years ago and it was for another charity. So I'm greatly looking forward to it and I hope that... Uh, People listening to this podcast will come along and listen to me then. Um, I, I, I assure you that uh, you won't be disappointed. Well, not wanting to give away too many secrets, but I did want to ask you, what was it like growing up with a world-famous author, an ex-royal jockey, and uh, a racing journalist? Um, did you, when you were younger, go to the races? And did you ride yourself? Oh, I went to the races every Saturday. Uh, and... Uh, with my father, uh, we all did. I mean, my brother and I did, and my mother used to go along as well. I don't remember my father riding. Um, he, uh, not, not riding races, I remember him riding horses, but not riding races because uh, he retired when I was uh, just four years old, and I have no real memory of him riding. In fact, sadly, the only film I have of him riding in a race is that ill-fated 1956 Grand National when Devonlock collapses. So, uh, but uh, it was great. I mean, people often ask me, what is it like to have a famous father? And my answer to that is, what is it like not to? Uh, because my father was champion jockey the year I was born. So he was already uh, fairly famous in, uh, certainly in racing terms, but it was the uh, Devonlock episode that thrust the name Dick Francis from the back pages to the front pages of the newspapers but growing up in, in what I call one of the great fiction factories of the 20th century was um, certainly different. I mean, I, I, as I've been quoted saying often, 
um, the, the the discussion over the breakfast table between my parents wouldn't be which of them was doing the school run and taking the boys to school today. It would be whether Sid Halley could survive the night with a 38 slug in his guts, with his uh, blood dripping through a crack in the linoleum floor, or whether um, or how much explosive is actually required to bring down an aeroplane or to blow up a house. And those sort of things, I mean... It was the family business. I mean, my mother used to call it a cottage industry without the cottage. And I wrote my first part of a Dick Francis novel when I was a 17-year-old A-level physics student, when I designed the bomb that blew up the remote control bomb that blew up an aeroplane in Rat Race. And of course, in those days, it wasn't really electronics. It was all solenoids and batteries. The remote controls were not easy. Um, so uh, everyone is now so used to using their remote control to work the television or to open the garage doors. But in those days, designing a remote control to blow up a bomb at a distance was uh, quite fun. And in fact, we made it. We made the device in my school science lab. I mean, not the bomb, not the <laughs> It wasn't, didn't have the explosive, but the uh, remote control bit about uh, how to um, how you would detonate a, 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 the explosive if you had the explosive. And uh, uh, so my uh, A-level physics teacher and I set to work um, making, oh, it was a great uh, project for us. And uh, so that that was uh, the first bit I did. And then... Yeah, because I was going to ask, ask you how a physics graduate who was then uh, taught advanced level uh, physics... Um, uh, sort of got into the, the sort of family writing business, but you actually started it before you even finished school. Yes, I did. And and, and um, there was a book my father produced in, uh, I think it was 1981 or it might have been 1980, called Twice Shy. Uh, and I wrote the computer program in it. I mean, it was very cutting edge at the time, but now it is so out of date, it's really rather embarrassing. Um, I mean, one of the things is that, that we were still using dial-up and cassette tapes for for computer programs. You know, that wind, you probably don't even remember the whining noise when you played it on a, um, when you played it on a cassette player, uh, if you had a computer program and it just sounded like a whining. And um, I, I know it's out of date because my, my daughter said to me one day, and then, uh, what's a cassette? So you, know, uh, you realise that life moves on. But it was, uh, um, it was uh, uh, a fun time. I also did quite a lot of the meteorology uh, because I studied meteorology at university, a lot of the meteorology in uh, Second Wind. So I've done quite a few bits of Dick Francis books over the years. And you first got involved in writing them directly with your father in is it 2007 with dead heat well actually it was 2006 with under orders even though at the time i wasn't allowed to say so i will uh, uh, taking over was a bit of an accident really uh because i had i, I was a physics school teacher a level physics teacher for 17 years and then i left teaching and went into business and i was deputy chairman of a company called World Challenge Expeditions Limited, which sent young people all over the world. Um, 
uh, it was very much um, an, a company which was involved in leadership training. Great company. I really thought it was a super company. And we sold the company in 2005. And in 2005, uh, my father's literary agent asked me to go and have lunch with him. Um, it was not unusual. I was managing my father's business affairs anyway. My father and mother worked on the books together. It's that's the 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 uh, the worst, the best known secret, you know, the worst kept secret in in publishing. And sadly, uh, my mother uh, died of heart attack in the year two thousand. And my father announced that he was retiring. He was eighty years old, and he was going to retire. And everyone thought that that was that. Well, in 2005, my father's literary agent had lunch with me and he said, Felix, we have a real problem. And that is your father's books are all going to go out of print. Um, it's not that this, the stories aren't good enough. They're, they're great stories, but there are a thousand books published in this country every week. There are 50,000 a year. And that doesn't include the self-published books. And the bookshops simply don't have room for the old books, as well as the new books. So, and, and everyone is forgetting, there hasn't been a new book for five years, and everyone is forgetting. And I thought, well, it is a problem, because I'd hoped that they would provide my father with a pension for the rest of his life, and I quite hoped that they'd provide me with one too. And it, <laughs> and, and it clearly wasn't going to happen. So uh, what the agent said, what we need is a new hardback, a new book, a new Dick Francis. And I sort of looked at him and I thought, you know, you're crazy. You know, my mother and father worked on them together. My mother's been dead five years. My father, well, God bless him. I loved him dearly. He was 85 years old by this stage. And he really could hardly remember what he had for breakfast. He had to learn enough to write a book. So I said, well, it's not going to happen. And the agent said, no, well, actually what I'm asking you is your permission to ask an existing established crime writer if he will write a Dick Francis novel by whoever. Well, I must have had a few glasses of red wine by that stage. And I said to him, well, before you ask anyone else, um, I would like to have a go. I'd written bits of Dick Francis books. I'd helped my parents finish the last book, Shattered. And I'd effectively written the last quarter of that. So I said, and, and the agent, he didn't roll his eyes or laugh and, th and think, how does a physics teacher you know, how do you think you can write a book worthy of the name Dick Francis? He simply said, I'll give you two months to write two chapters and then we'll see. Bit of and pressure there. Well, he openly admits that then we'll see meant that I'd give him the permission I, he was seeking to ask someone else. So I went home and I told my wife and she encouraged me and I sat down and I wrote two chapters. They were long chapters. They ended up being four chapters. And I sent them back in and we had another lunch and he said, well, there's two things you've got to do. One, you've uh, got to, uh, um, one, one is you, you've got to get on and finish it. And secondly, you better go and talk to your father. Well, the first one was easier than the second. Uh, but eventually my father read my chapters. He liked it. And the book came out uh, called Under Orders. It, was, it was, um, came out as a Dick Francis novel. Didn't have my name on it anywhere. I wasn't allowed to say that for eight years, but I'm now able to say it because I've been released from that clause of the contract. And the book sold. Well, of course it sold. It went straight to uh, 
the top of the bestseller list on both sides of the Atlantic. But I was terrified that the Sunday newspaper reviews uh, after it came out would all say that Dick has lost it. But they didn't. They all said the master is back. And the publisher said, well, we want another one. So I set to work on Dead Heat, uh, which was a chef. Again, set it round Newmarket. And, um, well, that was also going to go out as a Dick Francis novel, but the American publishers decided that they they were frightened that they might get sued if they if anyone knew that Dick Francis hadn't written it, even though Dick Francis is more of a a brand in my view than than a, than a named individual. And so it had Dick Francis with Dick Francis in enormous letters on the front and underneath in the smallest font they could find and features. And gradually over the years, my name got bigger and his got smaller. But uh, Iced is my 15th novel, and I'm now working on number 16. And talking of Newmarket, I mean, I've read Crisis. Did you, you probably know Newmarket quite well anyway, but did you come and visit, I mean, you feature the the Bedford Lodge, Tattersall's, where one of the main stars works, uh, the Berry Road, where one of the, the trainer's stables is. Did you come and visit and ask lots of questions at Newmarket? I did. I mean, I've been um, to Newmarket quite a few times over the years. Um, I was, uh, um, because I've set, as I say, I set dead heat in, in Newmarket, in and around Newmarket as well. And of course, Newmarket is headquarters, known as headquarters um, uh, for horse racing. So if you're going to write horse racing books, you, are, you, you can't not write them in Newmarket. I mean, I, uh, I've written books based around Lambourne, currently writing a book which is based around Midlam in, in North Yorkshire, which is another racing centre. But certainly there have been a number around Newmarket in, in quite a lot of my father's books as well. Uh, in particular, Bone Crack was set um, in Newmarket. And yes, to, to when I wrote Crisis, I did come back to Newmarket. I mean, I'd been there before. Uh, I, I, I blew up the grandstand uh, at the Rowley Mile race course in dead oh. heat. In, in, oh, I'm uh, sure they like that. Yeah. yeah, well, they did quite like that. They thought it, they, they did. I, I went back to the race course there recently. Uh, I, I realised that I'd changed quite a lot. But so, uh, and, and it certainly wasn't blown up when I went back. However, for crisis, I uh, I needed to um, I, I needed to find a, a, a stable yard who would uh, look after me and show me the ropes. So, you know, on the basis that if you want the, the best information, you go to the best yard. I, I uh, rang up John Gosden and asked him if I could come and spend some time at his yard, go, spend a day or two with him, and uh, he readily agreed. So I went and spent some time with John and uh, went out on the gallops with him, uh, both at uh, Warren Hill and over by the race course uh, on the heath there. And uh, and I spent my and I stayed at the Bedford Lodge and and uh, I mean the stable yard that I uh, use in in um, in that, that, we get fires there, don't we? Yeah. In crisis, which actually is the one that burnt down. Well, part of it burnt down. Uh, it doesn't actually exist. It was um, I sort of slotted it in between the, the Bedford Lodge Hotel and and Luca Kamani's old place. Uh, but I and I found out recently that Luca Kamani had a fire uh, in his stables um, at one stage, and all the horses in his stables were taken out of the stables and tied 
up on the severals, just as I'd written in the book, and I didn't know that beforehand. It's, it's very strange how sometimes you write things only to find out that what you've written is, is either happens or has happened in the past and you didn't know it. And did you also go to Tattersall's? I did. I've been to Tattersall's a few times. My, my brother um, uh, has for many years has owned and, and run uh, Lambourne Racehorse Transport, LRT. He was a trainer himself in Lambourne. Uh, and he has an office at uh, Tattersall's because he organises transport for all the horses after they've been sold, all those going back towards Lambourne. So I've spent some time with him there, and I've spent some time actually at the sales, watching sales. Uh, and when I needed particular information at cri- for crisis, I, I, I rang them up. And uh, well, the nice thing is that Everybody knows that neither Dick Francis nor I ever hold racing up in a bad light. There are some individuals that you hold up in a bad light, but racing itself comes out pretty well. And that means that everyone is very helpful and Tannisals were great. And in fact, I was back in, in, in Newmarket only a couple of weeks ago and I was back at Tannisals doing some filming. Um, so... Uh, uh, which hasn't yet been broadcast, but uh, will be, I hope so, I hope soon. So it was, uh, uh, it was great fun to go to Tattersall's and hear some of the stories. I went there on, on sale days and I went round and had a good look round everywhere when the sales were not on. And um, it's important to get things like that right. Um, you know, I know it's a fictional work, but if you, uh, you have to do your research to make, because if you, if you get something which is obviously wrong, uh, then you tend to put off um, the, the readers who know the, the right answer. So I, do, I work very hard. I still get things wrong. I got something wrong in Iced, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> and, and does the research take, almost take the longest? You have to do all the research before you start writing the book. No, well, I actually don't. I tend to do the research as I'm writing the book because I, I don't, plan the whole book out ahead of time I, I, because the characters tend to take on a life of their own and tend to drive the book in, in one direction or the other. Uh, if I'm lucky, I have an idea for a good beginning. And if I have an idea for a good beginning, I write the beginning and just see where it goes. Writing books is, if you, if you waited until you've got inspiration, you, you'd never get it started. You have, it's a job of work. You have to sit down and get on with it. And the most important thing is in the story, you have to make the reader care about what happens to the characters. You don't necessarily need to like them. You need, some of the times you want them to care about what happens to the bad guys. You know, you want them to feel that, that what is going to happen to the bad guys is they get their comeuppance or whatever. But you've got, they've got to care about what happens to the characters, the good ones and the bad ones. And if they, if they don't care about what happens to them, They'll read two or three chapters, they'll put the book down and never pick it up. Uh, and to that end, your character has to go on a, a bit of a journey, an emotional journey, a, a practical journey sometimes, where they are changed, their, their, their perceptions and, and life is changed by the processes of the book. So they end up being a different person at the end than they are at the beginning, because in that way, your reader is wanting to know what happens to them. And certainly in Iced, there are a number of, of different journeys going on 
that the character makes emotional journeys and, and so on. Uh, and I hope that uh, I've made it so that people really want to know what happens to him in the end. That is, that is the only way that you'll get people to, what, to, to, to go on reading the books or in the case of a film or a television series, they want to know what happens at the end. And if they don't like the characters and they don't care what goes on, what happens to them, you know, they might watch the first two episodes and then they won't bother with the rest. We've all been there. Yeah, I can certainly vouch for that. I've written Crisis. I must now read Ice. And when I was reading Crisis, I found myself reading a couple of, I'll read a couple of chapters now before I go to bed. And then uh, I was looking at my watch and thinking, oh, I've read about six chapters and now it's five past one and I really ought to switch the light off, you know. So hopefully when I get Iced, I'll I'll get the same page turning experience. Well, I hope so too. It is nice for an author when a reader says, you know, I took your book to bed with me last night and I was up until five o'clock in the morning because I couldn't put it down. And it gives you a warm feeling that you've done a good job. But then there's, then the second feeling comes in and says, oh, my God, it took me a whole year to write that and they've read it in one night. But uh, that is what we're after. And in and, and Crisis, I enjoyed writing Crisis because I get a number of people who say to me, Oh, I don't read your books or your father's book because um, I don't like horse racing or I don't like horses or I don't know anything about horses. I mean, the answer is they're not about horses. They're about people. Racing is simply the canvas against which I paint the story. And I decided that in in, uh, Crisis, my main character wouldn't like horse racing. You know, he he gets forced into, uh, by his job, into going up to um, find out what happened in a stable yard which had burnt down. But he doesn't really like the idea of it. He, he, he doesn't know. He, he's, uh, you know he, he tends to believe that, um, that the definition of a horse is that both ends are dangerous and the middle is uncomfortable. And, uh, and so he, um, I, I enjoyed that little aspect of, of, the, uh, of racing uh, that I made a character who didn't like racing uh, at being forced to go and investigate it. Uh, it adds a little bit of fun. And, and I mean, after all, you want your readers to have fun. Well, you've got to have a bit of fun writing it too. Certainly. Well, I certainly enjoyed it. And uh, I'll look forward to meeting you in, per- you in person on the Wednesday, the 8th of December at the Jockey Club Rooms. Again, an audience with Felix Francis. You can book online at Discover New Market co.uk price is 15 pounds um, i know you're looking forward to going to the jockey club rooms and that's also featured in um uh, dick francis and possibly felix francis books already well certainly it's, it was uh, in um there were the jockey club rooms were included in bone crag of course in those days the jockey club used to be uh, and the Jockey Club now is a, is basically a landowner. It owns race courses and it owns the, the, the gallops uh, at uh, Newmarket as well as the Jockey Club rooms. But back in the time my father was writing, the Jockey Club was responsible for, was the, was the overriding authority and was responsible for disciplinary matters. And the Jockey Club rooms... There was the, the uh, there was a room in the inquiry room in the jockey club rooms in Newmarket. It had a horseshoe shaped table, and it still has a horseshoe shaped table. And the stewards would sit around this table, and the 
the poor miscreant would have to stand in the jaws of this table to, to learn their fate. And they would have to stand there on a piece of carpet, a small square of carpet. And that's where the term to be carpeted comes from. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, to be carpeted, meaning uh, to be told off. Uh, and they would have to stand there and learn their fate from the, uh, from the assembled stewards who had the ability to take away their livelihood. Uh, and at the time, um, uh, I mean, I know that, that they did eventually allow um, legal representation, but at the time it was in Newmarket, the stewards were the kings. They were, they were the gods of racing and they didn't have to explain their actions to anybody. And uh, so the, 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 the jockey club rooms have um, great uh, uh, historical significance for, for horse racing. And um, I know I, I look forward to um, people coming and, and listening to me, but also just to be in those amazing places where so much of, of horse racing, is, history of horse racing has been written uh, over the years is uh, is worth the entrance money on its own i'm sure well thank you very much for sharing your memories um of of your father um the grand national uh, look forward to the statue being unveiled uh, next april i did look up and uh, although he's obviously remembered for devonlock in 1956 as you say he was champion jockey and he was also second in the grand national in 1949 so he came close in 1949 uh, it, came, it came closer than you think, actually, Stephen, because uh, in 1948, he was working for George Owen, um, a trainer up in Chumley in Cheshire. And one night, my father was um, going around the stable yard late at night, and he found a horse down in its box with colic. And he, uh, he spent the night, he, he sent for the vet and roused the stable lads, and they spent the night Getting this, getting this horse up on its feet, and my father spent the night, whole night walking it round and round and round until the colic eased. Well, that was in October 1948, and in 1949, he rode the Grand National on Roymond. As you say, he came second, and the horse that beat him was the horse he saved uh, the life of uh, five months before. And uh, my father was asked to say a few words at the party that night that was held in Chester. Uh, to honour the, the victory of a horse called Russian Hero. And he uh, recounted the story of how he'd saved this horse's life uh, the previous October, and he finished with the words, if I'd known what that horse was going to do to me today, I'd have let the bugger die. <laughs> <laughs> so he came closer than you think to winning it on Royman. The trouble was that Royman was carrying top weight and Russian Hero was bottom weight, and so there was a two-stone difference and uh, and that's why Russian here was able to hang on to win uh, against Royman. So he came very close to winning it twice. It seems that the, the uh, Felix family family is always associated with stories. Oh yes, absolutely. I could keep going, but I won't because I think you've heard enough. Anyway, and I want to save a few for the jockey club rooms. Certainly, yes. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. That's my pleasure, Stephen. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pav.
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.